from Seattle, Washington. I'm Zach Jabal, and this is a Vine Pair Podcast Next Round Conversation. We're bringing you these conversations in between our regular podcast episodes in order to focus on a range of issues and stories in the drinks world. And today I have the pleasure of speaking with Lynette Morrow. She's one of the co-founders of Speedrack. So thank you so much for being here. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Our pleasure. So let's start with that. What what has the last year been like for, for you and for Speedrack? And, and, and along with that, kind of what does it look like going forward? Sure. So, I mean, like anything else, uh, you know, we actually came home from our last Speed Rack event on March 17th, and we came back from New Orleans. We were in our kind of cresting, finishing our season off. Um, We have one more regional left, which is our mid-Atlantic DC. We had done our Southwest and essentially that weekend of the event in New Orleans, everything was changing momentarily. So we went from having an event where there were going to be people in the room, then there's no sampling in the room to then, you know, most of our brands being grounded by their companies. And we end up executing the event in a small bar with just the competitors who came into town as the, on that day, as New Orleans puts in their restrictions that all bars had to close by 5 PM. So it was uh, definitely insane, but that group of us who were together that last moment um, there's actually like a really great WhatsApp group chain and there was a lot of camaraderie. But, you know, after that, you know, Ivy and I had to go back to our respective bars in New York and figure out what was next. Uh, I think like everyone else, we were just trying to, you know, get our own houses in order while we figured out, you know, like Speedrack couldn't, we didn't think about it for a bit, you know, as as an event, there was just nothing in sight that that made any sense. Um, so we took some time off. I think it was really good for us to, you know, take assess, see where the industry was going, what was happening, what was happening to our community, trying to find any opportunities that would help support those bartenders who are out of work, um, through partnerships with brands or whatever we were doing. Um, and then, you know, we've kind of thought a bit about what we can do, uh, to help our our community of speed rackers. You know, we have this, we have this giant group of incredibly talented bartenders who are making waves and, and, and it's, it really is a sisterhood. And, you know, as things were happening uh, throughout quarantine, thinking about, you know, all the social justice movements, we really wanted to think what, what is the best path forward? What can we as this event, but they really a community do. And so we decided to put time and energy uh, into crafting this mentorship program, which we're mar- launching this month, um, also with a bunch of amazing Women's History Month programming. But, you know, it was one of those things where for people like us, or speed rack, where we're used to going fast, uh, having to take our time and be slow with what we were doing was really uh, uncomfortable. But we leaned <laughs> into it and we and we, you know, I feel we feel really strong about uh, what's happening now and, and how we're going to, you know, what we can do for our community as we all re-enter whatever the world has for us. So let's talk a little bit about those, um, those ventures and those um, efforts. So a couple things that I've, I've seen out, out there that you guys are launching. So there's the, the Speed Rack Advisory Squad. Can you kind of talk a little bit about what that is? Yeah. So with with what we were thinking about was, you know, we talked about uh, ways to make this industry a better place uh, and what what was lacking and what was what are the things that people need right now, especially I think there's a lot of uh, people in our industry taking stock, thinking about 
how they want to reenter it. And that, that just kind of made us click into the mentorship program. So we reached out to people who uh, in the industry who we think have really strong um, compasses and can be our incredible leaders and who would be good mentors for this next generation of, of our speed rack family. The, you know, these women coming back into the industry, uh, hopefully coming back into it with a stronger sense of where they want to go and what they want to do and thinking about that intention. So we did the Speed Rack Advisory Squad. And right now we have 87 mentors from all over the industry, whether they are, you know, bartenders, bar owners, social media experts, uh, brands, uh, wine, uh, beer, psalms, sommeliers. So we have a a really broad experience because it really is, you know, I think in order to... um, you know, I think what we've realized during quarantine is that for bar professionals to really succeed, there is going to be a lot more, you need to know a lot more things and, and you have to craft the job you want. So uh, those mentors are now being paired pretty much this week with with uh, with the mentees, which we have uh, equally, we have 80, I think we have just over 85 and they are uh, going to be, or actually, I guess more than that, because some mentors are taking two. Um, but they're from all over the world. We actually put it out to our Speed Rack universe and we have, um, you know, some applicants who are in from Germany, from Australia, from Asia, um, and then a big core, obviously, from all over the United States um, and some Canadian bartenders. So we're in this part. Uh, we've done a few um, trainings together about uh, what being an effective mentor is. I think what we felt was that this word gets thrown around a lot, but there's a really a uh, process to doing it effectively. And so we've partnered with um, healthypoor.org, which is a uh, Laura Louise Green and the elephant in the room, which is a really incredible group uh, to make sure that we're going into it with good intention, with uh, everyone being armed with the information they need from a mentor to a mentee. You know, what are the process? How do you start this, you know, new relationship that you're going to be matched up in and and what are the what are the rules of engagement and how do you respect each other's boundaries? And I think that's going to make it a very strong program because everyone's coming to the table with a, the same set of learnings and understanding and expectations. Awesome. Yeah, that definitely sounds compre- comprehensive and much more well thought out than uh, than I think sometimes uh, sort of mentor-mentee relationships can be in probably any industry, but certainly in this one that I, I know reasonably well. Um, you guys are also putting together a lot of... I guess I would say kind of content um, in particular this month. So some panels, some Instagram live conversations. Can you talk, I mean, there, there's, uh, I think a, a URL that we'll link in the show description for for where to find all of this information, but can you talk a little bit about some of what's coming up and, and maybe some of the highlight, a few of the either panels or discussions? Sure. Um, you know, for Women's History Month, kind of with everything was looked at through the uh, lens of the mentorship program and how and, and what are those things that we wanted to amplify. And so we broke um, Women's History Month into uh, four key buckets, one being mentorship, which is the pillar that we're launching, uh, women's history. And so really going back to some of the stories and covering some of the, uh, you know, untold women throughout history, um, women in economics, which we think obviously during uh, this time has been a massive topic as women have been disproportionately affected um, with job losses in this in in this time. Um you know, the burden of, of household duties. And, and it's just been a really 
crazy time. So thinking about how we can refocus how women and economics come to play and then career and career and development. So with that mindset, we actually put a lot into the finance and women in economics uh, from things as simple as, you know, I think, you know, you get into gig economies, you know, but this is a perfect example of how, um, you know, the industry changes, being prepared for the rainy day. And we really think it's important to have as much information out there for these younger women coming into the industry to think about that now. Um, and so one of our actually former speed rack competitors, uh, Makara Gebra, she actually is doing Finance Fridays. And during this time, she actually decided to go into financial advisor work. Um, and so she is going to come to it with an approach and understanding for each person of what it's like. And so every Friday at 2 p.m. EST, she's going to hop on Instagram Live. Uh, there's different topics every week that we're, that she's addressing. Um, we have uh, a couple of chats this week. We're also geared towards kind of like what it what it's like to set up your own company. Um, you know, if everyone's doing these kind of little side hustles. So um, Lauren Paler and I um, are going to be doing an Instagram live after they've watched some of the content that she actually previously produced for Focus on Health, her organization. And then she and I are going to talk a little bit about, you know, some of those ins and outs and answer some questions. And we'll have actually a bunch of finance. Um, so if people have financial questions, you can go to our website and put those questions there because we are also going to have a financial advisor group called the Financial Gym, the Fin Gym, uh, answer some of those questions. So no stupid questions. You get on there. If you have a question about it, they will answer it. And they're also going to do a big presentation about all of these topics, how to save, how to start your own company, whether you're going to, you know, if you're starting to do some brand work or you're starting to, you know, you started making your own mixer company during this time. Do you want to start an S Corp or an LLC? All that stuff that no one teaches you that's so important to learn now. Um, so those are ones I'm really excited. And then that whole program culminates in an invest and imbibe session where we actually are going to have um, Samantha Katz, uh, Bridget Fertile, um, Alex Beechin, and a few other women. Jordan Salcito are going to actually have an honest conversation of what it's like to ask for an investor, to look for people to believe in your ideas. You know, what are the kinds of assets you would need to have for that? Where do you reach out? And just kind of demystify that that idea for for anyone who has a, a concept or something that they want to do. And it just seems so intimidating to try and find an investor. Yeah. So I'm curious, you know, in in light of that, I, I do want to come back to a couple of things about what you're doing through speed rack, but, but I wanted to sort of take a, a, a moment to follow up on that a little bit. And, you know, there's been a lot of conversation um, throughout the entirety of the last year about the disproportionate ways in which um, this pandemic has affected women in the workplace. And I don't doubt that that's true in, in our industry as well, but is that something that, you know, you can talk a little bit about and, and what ways in which, you know, you guys are looking to maybe try and, um, you know, either mitigate or at least help, um, you know, women who've had to leave the, you know, a lot of the people have had to leave the workplace and the beverage industry because their restaurants or bars are closed. But a lot of people have had to leave, a lot of women in particular have had to leave for societal reasons that go beyond that. Is that something that you're also kind of working on? Yeah. I mean, I think with all the different support, I, I think this is why we focus so much in economics, because it seems like a lot more women will uh, be looking to create their next opportunity. Um, and I think you know, systematically why women have been affected more is because the positions they hold in the industry, you know, a lot more, you know, if you had more beverage directors or bar directors that were, were men, then they might've 
stayed on and were doing all the shifts and, and working. But um, if the predominant workforce that you had, who were the day workers or gig workers, were women, then they all lost their jobs. And and those are the slower jobs to come back. Or there's you know there's a lot of um, women in our industry. You know, in the last few years, we've talked about having a family and and have and being in this industry. And one of our speedwreck academies actually will be uh, hosted by. Um, Shirley Brooks, who's a bartender and mother in San Francisco, and she's going to address some of those those issues and some of those things. And this industry has always been hard uh, for um, women in hospitality uh, or even any any couples that want to have children and, and how they balance that. And, uh, you know, we're looking at that as well as, as one of the ideas. But I think it's just about, you know, preparing them for entering the, the this next economy, what's going to happen with a lot more just... Uh, feeling comfortable asking for what they want and positions they want and to go out and get them. Um, because I do think on the, on the reverse side, there will also be a lot of opportunity. Um, I think we've lost a lot of people um, from the industry, whether they, you know, decided that this isn't for them anymore. So those who are returning, I think I'd like to see them return with just a bit more uh, focus on where they want to go and what they want to do. Uh, and if we can empower them to, with the tools to ask for that, then that's what we're hoping we can do. Absolutely. And, Lynette, I want to take this opportunity to pick your brain a little bit, since you mentioned sort of this whole topic about, you know, what comes next in the in the drinks world and especially in the bar world. And and it's a conversation that uh, my co-host Adam Teeter and I have had a, a few times on the podcast and, and is obviously on a lot of people's minds, um, especially as we maybe are starting to see some of the light at the end of the tunnel as it comes to vaccinations and things like that. And I'm wondering, you know, one one theory that I've had is that when when bars do kind of more fully open up, and obviously depending on where you are in the country and in the world, that may be already a thing that happened or, or maybe still in the future. I've always kind of, I've come to believe that what a lot of people are going to be looking for in a bar experience is really that, an experience. You know, the drink is going to be part of it, but but it's going to need to be something that goes above and beyond what they've been able to get at home. Um, because for many people, this last year has been a time of discovering home bartending because it's been what <laughs> the option has been. Um, and, and I'm wondering, you know, is that, does that ring true to you? And, and either yes or no, whichever the answer is in your eyes, like, what do you see? Um, and as someone who is, you know, a bar director yourself, like what, what are you looking at moving forward? Absolutely. I mean, I think it's going to be kind of both, right? You're going to either want to go to that dive bar you've been missing mm. and get pints and, you know, shots and, but it's more like the mid tier, right? So it won't be good enough to just be good enough. You have to really, I think, to your point, create things that that people can't do at home. So, you know, if you're going to have an old fashioned on the menu, it should be a really cool riff and an old fashioned that takes some sort of effort that they can't do at home. Uh, you know, I think same thing with like any classics, you're going to have to really uh, step them up. Uh, but I am thinking about that. We're thinking about the llamas. We're really thinking about, you know, how, I mean, lucky for us, the kind of food we're doing isn't something that people are just making at home. They're not just whipping up Peruvian food. So I think that actually helps uh, us. But, you know, we just reopened Lama San on Monday and, you know, my head bartender, Natasha Bermudez, and I were just thinking about what what can we do that's still unexpected, what still brings them, you know, anything we put on has to be just that extra level that's going to take them to, they're gonna, it's going to take them two or three steps too many that they're not going to do it, but we can deliver it to them with execution and flawlessness that makes them think about it. Um, and I think that's just going to be the next step for everything. I think you're going to 
you're going to see um, just people are going to want to have your, like something that wows them. And I think it's it's also going to be a challenge as well for how business models adjust to uh, people's new habits. You know, so are people going to eat at home a little bit more with friends, then go out for a cocktail or, you know, what what's that new pattern going to be like? You know, if you've been used to, you know, being at home and doing a little bit more and, and they might be thinking about where they want to spend their money. So I'm, I, I think you're in order to lure them in, you're going to have to really think about um, attracting them in a different way. Yeah. And I'm wondering too, you know, I'm sure that this is something that, is again going to vary based on where people are, but it does seem like ways in which bars and bartenders can maybe continue to be a part of that at home experience, whether it's with cocktail kits, to go cocktails, mixers, et cetera. It does seem like something, I mean, at least from the people we've talked to and, and I've, I've heard from, you know, that that's going to be a part of, of the industry for some time. People think, I, I imagine that's something that you're thinking about and that, that the, that the women that you talk to and, and, connect with via mentorship programs and stuff like that? Like that, does that feel like an industry or a part of the industry that, that will remain vital? Absolutely. I think people are, are comfortable with, um, you know, getting this kits and things like that. I think, you know, the, the, the cocktail kits, I feel like they were so different in every place. It really, to your point, like it, it really depends on locality. I do think in some places it really helped bring um, craft cocktails to an audience who wasn't thinking about them. And so that might be really effective and that would still be a part of it. Um, you know, as we go forward, um, I think in places, you know, big metropolitan cities, I think people really want to get back to those places that make it so unique, you know, I think like Chicago, New York, all these places that are culinary hubs. What's so great about them is being able to access all this amazing food and drink in like one city. And so those independent restaurants really supporting them, I think people will, will, will actually be more thoughtful about where they spend their dollars because they want to support the places that they really missed. Um, the things that felt that they were part of the community, um, during this time. Uh, and so I think that's part of where that, you know, those to-go drinks, maybe a bar or restaurant was able to really connect and keep their, their, you know, clientele engaged via those opportunities. And that will create some sort of loyalty that will, um, at the other end of all of this, uh, you'll have that, that guest relations will have been stronger. Yeah, absolutely. Last question for you. Um, and that is, you know, coming back to, to speed rack a little bit more, Obviously, the mentorship programs, the um, sort of educational components are, are are wonderful and big parts of what you um, are doing going forward. But obviously, the, the competition itself is also kind of at the core of Speed Rack. What's the state of it for 2021? Are you looking at trying to put something together for later in the year? Is that still just kind of have to wait and see? Like for people who are either past competitors or interested, like what, what, what can they look forward to? So we have committed to finishing season nine in okay. whatever form we can do it. So we're not just going to let, you know, we have, we pretty much had one more regional to do, which would give us two more competitors. We haven't really figured out how we'll manage that process. Um, but, you know, the competitors and the wild cards that did win, we're hoping to keep an eye on what guidelines are, see how things you know, come up and see when it would be reasonably safe to um, be able to bring them together 
um, to compete and whether that means, you know, they would be competing in a closed circuit space where everyone's distanced and in, in all of these different ways that we put those in place. Um, so we're, we're trying to figure that out now of how, you know, but that's really going to, the, the barrier there is really, you know, about people, but, you know, every state from everywhere we're looking at being able to have vaccinations for hospitality and, and things that would make it, um, that are important in order to even do it. So definitely still a work in progress, but, but it's nice to know that you'll be kind of hoping to sort of pick up where, where we, where we left off, um, almost a year ago now, as if we record this, goodness. I know. And it's really about having them travel, right? Because it's not, yeah. you know, certain places, if you're outdoor, um, you know, there's going to be restrictions lifted this summer for outdoor events. And, you know, again, like I said, if you have everyone distanced and it's outdoor, you know, we can make it happen, but unless we could bring, you know, we're just bringing so many people together from different places. So that's where the concern is. Well, Lynette, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Um, look forward to finding out more about, um, the speed rack, both, um, you know, all the various things that you all are doing now and hope to have you back on, um, later this year at some point when we can talk about fully reopening your bars. Cause that would be an exciting and fun thing to talk about. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> we're, we've been doing, I mean, I know we had, uh, I think you talked to Erica almost a year ago yeah. now for one of the first ones of these we did, which was all about what it was like closing your bar. Uh, it would be great to be able to kind of close the loop on that one in a more, much more positive way. So fair enough. I, <laughs> I think we've learned so much about ourselves this year. It's a, it's it's an interesting time, but I, I'm I'm always optimistic about the future. So excellent. Well, again, Lynette, thank you so much for your time, and look forward to talking to you down the road. Thanks so much for listening to the Vine Pair Podcast. If you love this show as much as we love making it, then please leave us a rating or review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever it is you get your podcasts. It really helps everyone else discover the show. Now for the credits. Vine Pair is produced and recorded in New York City and Seattle, Washington by myself and Zach Jabal, who does all the editing and loves to get the credit. Also... I would love to give a special shout out to my VinePair co-founder, Josh Mallon, for helping me make all this possible. And also to Keith Beavers, VinePair Tastings Director, who is additionally a producer on this show. I also want to, of course, thank every other member of the VinePair team who are instrumental in all of the ideas that go into making this show every week. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you again.